New year, time to start over. Plus, we need more room for all your nasty construction boots. Uh, you mean stiletto heels? Whatever. They take up a lot of space, Imelda. So what's the difference between this year's closet and last year's closet? Well, um, we're going to have more student voice, regular guest editorial. What about the music and the insightful investigative reporting? Um, oh, the gossip. Yeah, that'll still be there. Oh, thank my rainbows. Great. Let's get started. Hand me a glue stick and the glitter. Welcome to Closets Are For Clothes. Hello, hello. Welcome to Closets Are For Clothes. This is Gabe. You're listening to... Um, we're live. We're back live. Can you believe it? Um, so here's the dizzy, my friends. Um, Closets Are For Clothes is going to go on a vision quest. You know those quests and you go like camping and you like go um, and you burn a bunch of incense and like pretend to see animals in the stars and, and stuff like that. Well, that's what we're doing because we um, need a vision and the only way to get a vision is to, to quest for one. So we're, we're going to do that. Um, so um, starting next week, Closets Are For Clothes is going to go on a short vision quest hiatus. We will be back when the when the snow starts to fall. You'll, you'll find Dan and I back here live in the studios of WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, so so look for that um and we will be thinking of you dear listener all all one of you um during that time and how we we dan and gabe two big gays can 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 service you well in that um you know legal appropriate consensual way um but before we get there we do have we have stuff to talk about um today later on we'll be joined um by the brand new director of policy for the triangle foundation uh bernadette brown so um we'll 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 grill her and she'll probably grill us back um we'll also talk a little bit about um the convention there's a big convention going on um in denver the democratic national convention dnc so um we'll be talking a little bit about that and what's been going on there um, um for listener you know that i'm a big um politico buff um and i'm also a hillary person so um so I've been uh so I was pretty happy with last night's um Hillary's speech. I was unhappy however with her choice of outfit. Um and um we'll also talk uh we'll hear some comments from hunky mayor Christian Bale-Gavin Newsom from San Francisco, um, who is going to talk about the passing of uh, gay marriage pioneer Del Martin. Del Martin um, passed away today, um, so we'll hear a little bit um, of his comments about about this amazing lady. Um, so, uh, first a little bit of news roundup news that you can abuse. So, um, so you know, NBC has been... Um, covering the olympics they just ended i i didn't watch the closing ceremonies even though i'm a big fan of the opening ceremonies i guess um but uh i just wasn't about it like even though i know beckham was on um call me um was on doing uh, um getting the torch for for 2012 i i i didn't watch but um nbc has covered the olympics like on like Eight, all 80 of their stations and so what i found interesting is um that they in covering it didn't 
one particular event, men's diving, um, one of the gold medalists was um, uh, Matthew Mitchum. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew Mitchum is from Australia, and he happens to be out openly gay. So they were um, covering all this Olympic stuff and all this brouhaha, and they didn't, and they failed to mention that, um, you know, that, that Matthew Mitchum is out and openly gay. Now, why is this? So why is it because and and NBC says, you know, well, we 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 don't cover everything. Like, why would we cover that? Like, but I I don't know. I I would challenge that NBC. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm challenging you. Um, part of it is because and, and I was talking to a good colleague, good friend of mine, and saying about like, well, is it really important? Like, are we talking about like this? Does it have to do anything to do with his athleticism? Does it have anything to do? with um his diving gold that he is gay um and the flip side of that is it has everything to do with his gold because he's you know an out the first out gay person um during the olympics not someone who came out after the olympics right um like greg luganus but someone who during competition um is out so What's the answer? I don't know. But so um, let me tell you what my answer is, because I, I know you asked. And um, I, I don't know. I feel like they pick up on so many human interest stories. Right. So they pick up on so many times when, um, um, you know, there's the Chinese um, uh, track star who who, the, you know, um, was carrying the hopes of his country or someone who came from nothing to be in the Olympics or someone who had to like sell Girl Scout cookies to go to the Olympics. Like what do those things have to do with their athleticism? If not that they have everything to do with who the person is. Right. And so I, I think that's the same with, with um, our friend um, Matthew Mitchum and that um, people, you know, part of it is, is breaking that stereotype too. So, so that's where I stand on that. Thank you very much. Um, you know, some other news, Ellen, since we last spoke, Ellen and Portia tied the knot. I was not able to, um, attend the wedding because I uh, wasn't invited, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was beautiful. Like, you know, first of all, I didn't realize that Ellen is 50 and, and, Portia is like, you know, 12. No, she's like 30 something. Um, so, and they've been dating since 04. Um, and Ra uh, Portia's 35, excuse me. And um, Ellen is 50. And uh, their, um, their wedding pictures were just beautiful. Like they, uh, they both wore white and, and Portia was wearing a very flowy gown and, and um, Ellen looked very, you know, very smart and, and, um, in her white pants suit. Um, so cheers to them. Cause I know that they're avid listeners as well, but, um, it's great. I think it's great to see, um, um, to see in mainstream media and, uh, you know, people who middle America love and Ellen, um, her happiness and, uh, and the world didn't explode. They got married and, and, and th things didn't spontaneously combust. So, Go fig. 
Um, speaking of spontaneously combusting in flames, um, Lance Bass, as we know, is going to be on Dancing with the Stars next season. Um, and um, there is this amazing picture of him online practicing his dance. And it's like, who's leading who? Because he has some flair under him. So uh, he, uh, though, there was some talking about whether or not he was going to be... Um, paired with a a boy dancer or a girl dancer and um he'll be paired with a, a girl dancer which i think he'll just be fine i think it'll be great i think he's gonna win um so so that's uh that's good for him good for him indeed um other news uh i don't know if you heard um Excuse me. I don't know if you heard about uh, this book, Band Fags. We've talked about it um, on here before. Um, and it turns out that he's writing a sequel called Drama Queers. Um, so I really kind of just feel like he's following um, my life at this point. Um, so um, so that's pretty, pretty interesting. Um, so I'll tell you what. Why don't we go take a quick break? Um, and when we come back, we'll talk some more, you and I, and then, um, um, in, in a little while we'll be joined by director of policy for the Triangle Foundation, Bernadette Brown. Um, and you're listening to the Closet Stuff for Closed, WCB and FM Ann Arbor, and we'll be right back. Coming from the city, walking to the door. Don't you know I am never gonna let you go Don't go 
Welcome back to Clauses for Clothes and WC with Ann Arbor. And um, so this is an election year that's like saying like you're listening to the radio, right? That's very obvious to you. Um, but, you know, there are, you know, they say that all politics is local. Um, and I don't know what that means. But what I do know is that we have uh, lots of people around who help us sort through um, the messages that we get and, and help us to know what we can, um, what we can, re- how we can really hold our, our, our local, um, and state and even our, our national elected officials to their feet to the fire. Right. Um, so, um, just recently Triangle Foundation, um, released or announced, um, um, the, Bernadette Brown, who is joining the Triangle team as the director of policy, and we've asked her to come on the show and talk to talk to you, dear listener, on Clouds Start for Clothes. So Bernadette, are you there? I am here. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Please accept my apologies for not being in the studio in person with you. That's okay. You owe us one. How's that? <laughs> yes, that sounds great. I really was looking forward to getting out to Ann Arbor today, so I'm sorry that that couldn't happen. That's okay. So, 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 so you've you've joined the Triangle Foundation, and this is what, like your your fourth week, your third week. Gabe, this is my fifth day. Oh, your fifth day. So you're a pro. Wonderful. <laughs> Exactly. And, I'm an expert now. And <laughs> now, Bernadette, the Detroit area in Michigan is not alien to you, right? This is this is sort of a homecoming for you. Is that correct? Absolutely. I grew up on the east side of Detroit, right over by the airport, over on uh, Connor and East Outer Drive. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, I am native-born, and I left Detroit to go to college and so and for law school. So for the last 15 years or so, I've been out on the East Coast. That's really great to be home now. And did you think that this was something that was gonna, you were going to do? Is come back to to Michigan and and um, and do LGBT work? I had always wanted to come back home at some point. I I wasn't quite sure if I would do LGBT work because of the nature of the work and you know it's it's very specialized. So it was definitely something that I wanted to do once I got to law school, actually, because that's when I came out and that's when I became more involved in issues when I was in Boston. 
so I thought after I graduated, if at some point the opportunity presented itself, I definitely wanted to pursue it. And, and now you're back, and now you're working with the Triangle Foundation, right? So, and, and you've been, um, you know, only wonderful things have been have have been um, have been uh, talked about in terms of the work that you have done with um, the agencies you've been with before. So you were at at, at Childbirth Connection, right? Yes. And and what and that was based out of New York. Yes. Um, based out of New York, but it's actually a national policy and research organization that promotes evidence-based maternity care. And that's a long, you know, convoluted way of saying promoting care for women when they have children that's based on scientific evidence as opposed to practice guide, guidelines that are based on belief or habit or routine. And that's a whole nother topic, but... Um, it was very policy-focused. I was the deputy director at Childbirth Connection, so we did a lot of work around working with legislators, mostly in the state, but we have been in contact with federal uh, legislators, and so because it's a nationally-based organization, that's, that was the focus. And so I went to Washington, D.C., and we had Hill briefings on the Hill and things of that nature. So do you think that there's a, a, a large learning curve or a big jump from um, working on um, uh, working at a child with connection to working on LGBT issues at the Triangle Foundation? Well, since it's only day five, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would definitely say that the curve is pretty steep. Um, just based on the specifics of some of my duties in New York versus my duties here, um, for instance, we didn't do campaign work when I was in New York. So this is something new for me, but it's very fascinating, and I've had a lot of tutelage from the Triangle staff, so it's been a lot of fun these last few days getting up to speed on all of these various issues. I actually find that I'm calling on many more of my skills as a litigator in New York uh, to do a lot of the work that I'm learning at the moment, and not so much my policy position, interestingly. Wow. So so you're already arguing with, with your colleagues and and <laughs> litigating um, uh, cases over the, over the water cooler? <laughs> oh, I argue with Brett, but, you know, it's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> Brett is nothing but trouble, and you tell him I said that. Hey, I will tell him you said that, <laughs> but he's the fun kind of trouble. Uh, no, there, there's not really any arguing. It's much, so, much more relates to the skill set that one has to have as a litigator because a lot of the work you do before you go into court is a lot of negotiation and mediation. And in order to be effective at those particular um, skills, you, you need to know how to listen. You need to know how to speak to people. You need to find out what issues are important and be able to convey to your audience what those issues are, mm -hmm. and hopefully you reach a resolution that does not require you to go to court. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those skills are very similar to what I used in my policy work there, and I'm thinking they are going to be useful in my policy work here. Excellent. So, so let me switch gears a little bit and, and talk about you know one of the things that you know uh, here at, in and many of the higher education institutions actually you know is talking with with students about this idea of activism, 
um, versus advocacy mm-hmm. versus policy versus practice. Um, what do you think is the difference or how, how would you communicate to young people, to students, for example, why, um, why policy versus activism or all of it, um, how, the, how they all relate? Well, I, I don't foresee that real change can happen in policy without activism. And I think what, what we've seen in the country in the last you know, year and a half that's been going on politically is there's been so much more excitement with you know, Barack Obama and, and the like. And I don't think we've seen that in a long time. When you look at archives, for instance, of the 1960s or the 1970s, of all the student activists then, you know, they really had a fire in their belly, and they were really going after something. And I think there's been a lot of apathy on our college campuses in the last few years in this country, which is completely understandable. So it's great when you have someone that comes along and makes people believe that they can create change if they just get involved. And getting involved, while it's great to, you know, call your senators, and we certainly want people to do that, or your representatives, you really have to feel passionate and really excited about what it is that you're doing. And I think even if these issues don't affect you personally, you have to see how they affect other people in your community, because we're, we're not just a small community. It's not just Ann Arbor. It's not just Detroit. It's not just Michigan. But it's the country, and it's the world. We live in a global community now, and I don't think any of us can afford to look the other way and think that it's okay that any type of injustice is happening if it's not in our backyard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so uh, do you... Th- you know, in watching some of the um, the Democratic National Convention, um, the you know the DNC stuff on on the TV, I, I feel like every time I turn on the TV, someone keeps talking about like I'm from the South Side of Chicago, and you know like Deval Patrick said that, and Michelle Obama said that, and certainly Barack will say that, and and, and other folks. So, how how do you think that you being from Detroit and from Michigan has really influenced the way that you approach, um, um, sort of your not philosophy, but how you approach sort of LGBT rights or how you approach um, um, your work uh, and policy work. I mean, certainly, like um, Michigan is is a difficult place to do. Um, LGBT rights work. You're, you're absolutely correct. And just to, to keep in line with you, your introduction, I have to say I'm from the east side of Detroit as, as opposed to the south side of Chicago. Right, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I grew up in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. I had an African-American lesbian as my mom was raised by both my mom and my grandmother. And on top of that, Gabe, as if that wasn't enough, we were the only black Catholic family in the neighborhood. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I think people, I think my friends in school thought that was a little bit more strange than anything else. <laughs> wow. And so growing up, I actually graduated from Mercy High School in Farmington Hills, and I remember being bussed out of Detroit, you know, all the way out to Farmington Hills to go to Mercy, and I sort of felt like, those what what kids must have felt like in the 1960s, you know, post segregation, when they were being bused out to schools. Although you know it wasn't nearly as bad. There, you know, marshals weren't out there. There was no violence or anything of that nature. But I did definitely face discrimination 
all the, you know, in high school, in college, in law school, and even as an attorney in New York. And so these things sensitize you, and you become very aware of what the needs are. And certainly growing up with a lesbian mom, I was, you know, very nervous all the time when I was really young about if people found out what her sexuality was, you know, would my friends stop talking to me, would they be able to come to my house anymore if their parents knew. And, you know, most of the time people knew and they just didn't care. But that's the kind of fear that you have when you're a child where, you know, everything is sort of blown out of proportion a little bit depending on what's happening and you're not quite sure. So I was very afraid of all of these issues until I got to high school, and then, you know, I really just didn't care anymore, especially when I saw that other people really didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, these things are very important to me, and I think I talked a little bit about this with uh, Between the Lines, that when I was younger and my mother was between jobs, we didn't have any health insurance, and my stepmom was not allowed to put us on her health insurance. And this was very upsetting for me because it just made no sense. I thought, these are my parents, but only one can provide health insurance for us. And this is an issue that many children are still dealing with today because we still don't have second-parent adoption in this country. I mean, not this country, but the state. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of these issues sort of came together and really inspired me to want to do this work. And I'm also concerned because I'm a mom. I have an 11-year-old son, and I'm concerned about him and his treatment when, you know, people find out he has a lesbian mom and so on. So these, this, my current position professionally is fully aligned with my personal philosophy and my personal experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... So you know you were talking about uh, you, know, you mentioned a little bit about second parent adoption and healthcare and um, how what I often have trouble doing is sorting out what to work on first, mm-hmm. right? There it seems like there's so many issues, and even if we just focus in on LGBT, right? There's so many things, um, so many rights that we don't have that that it's almost it's almost um, it's dizz- it is dizzying to think about like okay, is it marriage do we work on first? Is it employment? employment rights do we work on first or do we work on HIV first do we work on um, you know uh, bullying or don't ask don't tell like how how do we sort it out like how do we prioritize um, what we sh- we as a community if we are a community should work on well fortunately we have many more people in the movement today than you know even just a couple of decades ago So it's good when you have all of these forces that you can bring to bear on these issues and can tackle them and we can provide resources and support for one another. I can tell you that right now for me at Triangle, what I'm really focused on is the passage of Matt's safe school law. Mm -hmm. For those of the listeners who don't know what this is, it is the anti-bullying law, basically, um, which was named after Matt Epling, who was a 14-year-old boy who committed suicide after being attacked by a bully a few years ago. And this is extremely important, and it passed the House. It's it's installed in the House. We're trying to get the Senate to bring it to the floor so that it can have a vote. It just It's incredulous that 36 other states have comprehensive anti-bullying legislation on the books, and Michigan does not. So come next week, 
over 1.6 million school children are going to go back to school in Michigan, and they are going back to school without having a comprehensive anti-bullying law here to protect them. And, and, I, and I'm speaking to you not only as the director of policy at Triangle right now, but as a mother who has dealt with some bullying issues with my own son, and it's really, really concerning. So I would urge all of your listeners to contact their senators and ask them to please, please give a hearing to this law and to bring it to the Senate floor so that we can get a vote on this and to vote for it. So tell me a little bit more about Matt Safe School, if you can. So, so is are you telling me that right now it's legal to bully? Well, there's no comprehensive law that makes that encourages schools school boards to have a policy which explains how it is they are going to deal with bullying issues. So that's what it is. Now, there are some schools who may have a policy, but the problem is that we don't have a state law, unlike these 36 other states, that says you must have a policy. Mm -hmm. So it's just sort of left up, and there's really very little guidance. And we have school boards and we have school administrators and principals who want to do the right thing, who want to protect their students. But, you know, sometimes these things can get very complicated, and it's great if we have a law that has on the books some guidance about how these situations should be handled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so it's going to be up again this, this term, is what you're saying? So well, should... yes, and the session ends in, you know, in a couple of months, and so we are trying. It passed the House last year. And so it's just been sitting in the House because um, the head of the um, Education Committee, who is Senator Wayne Kuypers, has not given the law a hearing yet. And so what we want people to do is just contact Senator Kuypers, contact your senator, and find out. You can go to actually try.org. Uh -huh. We have a link on there where you can find who your state senator is if you don't know. So if you go to try.org, that's tri.org, and you just scroll down, there's a link that asks you to put in your, you can click on there and it says find out who your elected official is, and you put in your zip code and it'll tell you who that person is. And we're urging people to, before session runs out, to contact their senators and explain why it is important we need to have this law on the book. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Excellent. And people can learn more at try.org, right? Yeah. Um, so later on, we're going to be talking um, about um, Del Martin, who recently passed away, mm -hmm. um, and she, um, a pioneering lesbian woman, um, was married by Gavin Newsom um, in San Francisco, um, and California is is right now fighting um, Proposition Eight, I believe, um, to ban same-sex marriages. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think is going to be the fallout? What, I mean, what does this have any ripples when it comes to Michigan? Like, is, some, is anything going to happen? Um, you know, is there, a, is there a way that that decision can be used to, to, um, to inform what we do next in, in the state of Michigan around gay marriage? Well, a lot of – well, first I just want to say, and I, and I learned this from Evan Wilson, when we talk about gay marriage or same-sex marriage – we, we're not asking for anything separate or unique or special. As Evan Wilson points out in his book, Why Marriage Matters, gay marriage, as, as it has become known in the colloquial usage, 
makes it sound like it's something extra. And what we really want is to end the exclusion mm-hmm. of same-sex couples from getting married. So it's not anything separate or different, just as, you know, the definition of marriage, not so much the definition, but people who are allowed to get married has changed. You know, it wasn't so long ago when a black woman could not marry a white man. Mm -hmm. And that was the case of loving the Virginia, which I just think is so aptly titled. I I just love (laughs) that this marriage case that ended miscegenation is called loving. Right. so that's, that's what the purpose of, of that is, and that's essentially what same-sex marriage is. But I do think it has an impact because all of the major changes that are taking place in this country surrounding LGBT rights are happening on a local level. They're happening on a state level. So what happens in the states does have a rippling effect, especially when they are, you know, the states such as New York and California. You know, there's a long time saying that, and, and Mayor Newsom has said, has said this many times, that so California goes, so, so the, the way the rest goes. of the country yeah. goes. So, and that's been somewhat truthful in a lot of uh, legal cases. So we want to pay close attention to what's happening in other states on a local level. It's not so much, I mean, the feds are obviously important, and DOMA is important, and mm-hmm. those things are very, very important. But change has a rippling effect on a local and on a state level. Excellent. So, so um, switch gears on you again. Sorry, st- keep you on your toes. I got you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, you know, um, today Michelle Obama spoke to the um, LGBT caucus uh, at at the DNC. Um, as a woman of color, um, did you find yourself sort of of uh, 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 looking at these two incredible candidates, one a woman, one a, one a person of color, and saying, uh, and did you find that their messages were either gender baiting or race baiting or or just uh, uh, inauthentic and in, in, in sort of winning votes? You know, I didn't hear her comments to the LGBT caucus. Oh, I mean, just generally, just generally. Mm-hmm. Michelle Obama's... Uh, comments generally not not michelle obama's comments excuse me but uh, but hillary's comments or brock's comments did you find them um uh, race baiting or gender baiting or um or inauthentic well if you want to give me a specific comment i could tell you but honestly uh you know I have been getting home so late from my wonderful new job at Triangle that I have seen virtually nothing of the DNC. Kate, I, <laughs> I hope you're listening to that. I just assumed I would, you know, YouTube it or something. I've read some of the reports about the commentary, what mm-hmm. people thought about Hillary Clinton's speech or what they thought about Michelle Obama's speech, but I really didn't see either of their speeches. You know, and, and, you know, I was talking earlier about, because um, I um, am a Hillary fan, um, okay. and talking about... You said that quietly, Gabe. Like, oh, oh, no, I'll scared. say it louder. I'll <laughs> say it louder. Uh, and, and, you know, talking about um, the gay vote and whether the gay vote matters, right? So versus um, any of our other identity votes, right? Mm-hmm. So so do I vote as a person of color or am I voting as an LGBT person? You know, and, and those sorts of things, I think, are very complex questions. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think you vote your conscience. 
That's, right. that's what I would do. You know, I would vote for the person whose values are more closely aligned with my own. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm very serious when, when I talk about the Constitution and um, my allegiance to justice. I really believe in, you know, what are oftentimes termed these lofty, you know, ideals, and I really believe in them. I, I really believe in doing what's just and of course, not everybody shares the same opinion about what that is, but you really have to vote your conscience. I don't think you should feel forced or pulled in either direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Brilliant. So, 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 Bernadette, where do you see? Um, what's next for you? So, what, what, what's going to be? Um, where, where are you and Triangle going to um, put the magnifying glass next? Where, what is going to be? You mentioned the bullying and the Met Safe Safe Schools Law. What, what beyond that, or is going to be? Um, what should we be focusing on? Well, we're we're also focusing on the elections. You know, that's part of Triangle's mission. Um, it's part of the. Excuse me for a second. The Triangle Pride Pack, for those people who don't know, we also have Triangle Pride Pack, where we focus a lot of our work on campaigns and who's campaigning. So those things are very important. And the reason they're important is because violence, harassment, discrimination, intimidation are all very, very important issues that Triangle thinks to put an end to in this state. So the focus is on the the anti-bullying, and after that we will continue with our anti-violence work. We have many youth initiatives going on that are really great for the children in our community and their allies. So that's going to be the focus for now. And I'm sure, though, if you were to call me back in two months, (laughs) (laughs) there there may be something else. Well, that's great. And and that's certainly... A lot to tackle. It is a lot. On no, day we're, five. We're On day watching five. Watching what happens with second parent adoption, and uh, concerned about that. We're we're concerned, like most Americans, about health care. Mm-hmm. And what's happening with affordable health care, and if Americans are going to get it, and as you all know, that's going to depend a large part on who's in office come late January. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent. Well, Bernadette, thank you so much for joining us here in Closets Are for Clothes. We hope that you'll come back sometime um, and, and talk more about what um, what we can do um, to help affect um, the policy of, of Michigan and, and locally, nationally, and, and regionally. Well, thank you so much for having me, Gabe. I can't wait to come there and meet you in person one day soon. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. Okay, have a good day. And we were just talking with Bernadette Brown, who is the brand new day five, five day old uh, director of policy for the Triangle Foundation. And you can learn more about the Triangle Foundation at tri.org. And you're listening to Closets Are For Clothes. We'll take a quick break. And on the other end, we'll hear some voices from the DNC. Um, So we will be right back. 
I'm Corey Johnson for Toro.com with uh, Congressman Barney Frank from the state of Massachusetts. Barney, before we start, you know this is our eight-year anniversary. You and I met about eight years ago. At the convention? At the, no, at not in Los Angeles before that. You wrote me a great letter. Wow. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's great to be here in Denver. I wanted to talk to you about um, the LGBT vote uh, in this election. Of course, the differences between the records of Senator McCain and Senator Obama are pretty, are pretty stark. Uh, but in 2004, 25% of self-identified gay voters voted for George W. Bush against Senator Kerry, who had a far better record. What do we do this time? for close. Um, so today um, we honor and mourn the death of Del Martin, 87 years old, who died today in San Francisco. Uh, Del married Phyllis Lyon, her partner of 55 years, on June 16, 2008. Um, and in 1955, the couple joined six other lesbians in founding the Daughters of Belitis in San Francisco, um, the first lesbian rights organization in the nation. Um, so, um, this is a, a short clip of, uh, San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom talking about his experiences with Dell, um, and also about, um, some other, um, political moments. 
Uh, today you spoke the news about, about Del Martin uh, yeah. passing away, and you got a little teary-eyed yeah, well, uh, during it. So tell just, us what it was like yeah, just, hearing it this morning. I just found out about it right before I went up on stage, and uh, it, you know it's hard to describe my, my respect and admiration for Phyllis Lyon and Del Martin and what they've done to change this country and to change people's hearts and minds and uh, to reconcile those that uh, may be a little different than others, uh, but to humanize uh, the LGBT community and uh, to do what they they've done on, on advancing fundamental human rights uh, is uh, is second to none. And to hear that really one of the heroes in the civil rights movement in this country uh, passed away and someone that I was privileged to marry uh, just a few months ago uh, was difficult for me. And uh, you know, I know politicians aren't supposed to get up there and show any emotions, but it was human and real uh, because she was an extraordinarily human person and, and a person of total authenticity uh, and lived her life out loud and never took no for an answer. And demanded equal justice and equal rights and she got it uh, just a few weeks before she passed away. Do you have any thoughts about what her uh, legacy is or should be? Her legacy is a living legacy as long as we make it real uh, and that's continue the work that we need to do by defeating Proposition 8. I mean the idea uh, that uh, her marriage uh, in essence would be invalidated even if it's not legally invalidated but invalidated in the context of its symbolism not just its substance by the voters overturning a court decision and twice a legislative sanction uh, would be devastating. Uh, this would be a huge setback uh, in LGBT community rights and movement. Uh, and it's frustrating with respect to some of my heroes in the Democratic Party and that we're saying one thing privately and doing another thing publicly. Uh, so I demand, as she does, uh, equal justice, equal rights, uh, full equality. And you can't separate an institution by making it a lesser institution. No one argued for that in 1967 with interracial marriage when 70 percent of Americans opposed interracial marriage. No one said, well, why don't blacks and whites get married but call it a civil union? No one had the audacity to say that. How dare they have the audacity today? I say this with respect to those that disagree with me. I say that about the gay community and really what's at stake is her legacy and her life. Uh, and uh, that legacy can continue or it can have a big setback and, uh, and be an asterisk. I don't want to see that happen. Speaking of Proposition 8, uh, the Briggs Initiative, uh, which happened in the 70s, Harvey Milk from the city of San Francisco campaigned against it. Ronald Reagan actually at the time spoke out against the Briggs Initiative. Milk uh, was filmed in the city of San Francisco yeah. um, this past winter and it's going to be premiering in October at the yeah. Castro Theater. What did uh, the filming of the movie mean to the city of San Francisco? Um, and you were very cooperative during the filming. Yeah. What did that mean for the city? Uh, well, I mean, we were happy to have the film done in San Francisco, but more importantly um, it's what that film and its message uh, will carry in terms of being able to highlight uh, one of the extraordinary uh, figures, again, in the LGBT community and one of the great figures in San Francisco's history, in California's history, and U.S. history. And uh, I have only been told great things about the movie. I haven't even had a chance to see it, but I'm told that Sean Penn is mesmerizing. Uh, and who plays Harvey Milk. Who plays Harvey Milk. And, uh, and the impact of the film, I think, will be felt uh, uh, for many, many uh, people and uh, for many, many years to come. So I'm just extraordinarily hopeful uh, that it's a success, a box office success, so it could be distributed widely, uh, and I'm told it's nothing less than that. Josh Brolin as well, uh, apparently, is magnificent. So plays Dan White? So it's Dan White, and eerily so, for those that were there during this period of time. And of course, uh, it's uh, an issue that I'm reminded every single day. We have Harvey Milk bust at City Hall, and uh, I stand there, literally, uh, just a few feet away at my desk uh, every single morning. I walk through that uh, door, right where George Moscone was also assassinated the same day that Harvey Milk was assassinated.
fascinating, uh, and uh, it's a stark reminder of the history of San Francisco, history of uh, the LGBTQ community, the history that's still unfolded with now Senator Feinstein, who took the ascendancy as mayor of San Francisco and ultimately became a U.S. senator. And again, it's all part of this weave of narrative uh, that's part of Phyllis Lyon and Del Martin's life and part of Harvey Milk's legacy, all of this coming to fruition at stake here in 2008 in California uh, in Proposition 8. And that's why it's just so fundamentally important that we defeat it. Thank you very much. Mayor, Senator Obama has not yet come to endorse full marriage equality. Is that something you're hoping I think eventually he will. I think it's understandable, frankly, in this context, in this political climate. A lot of folks are still not there yet, and I understand the politics of this arguably better than any human being alive uh, since I have been. Uh, and, those, and those were some of the comments of Gavin Newsom, mayor of San Francisco, talking about um, LGBT rights, but also more importantly about um, Del Martin, who um, passed away today. Um, a little bit more about Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon, her partner, founding the daughters of da- founding the daughters of Belitis in 1955. Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon launched the world's first organization dedicated to improving the lives of lesbians. When they published the latter in 1956, the first magazine by, for, and about lesbians, the couple created the means for lesbians to know themselves and each other and to break out of the stultifying isolation that marked many lesbian lives, inviting thousands of women to join a nascent but growing lesbian community. Throughout their decades of activism, Martin and Lyon made the vital connections among communities and movements, engaging in social justice advocacy projects that included anti-war, civil rights, anti-poverty, HIV-AIDS, and women's health and empowerment. In 1964, they participated in the Council on Religion and the Homosexual, the first organizing in this country to forge a wider space and a welcoming place for LGBT people in faith communities. In 1972, the couple published their groundbreaking book, Lesbian Woman, named by Publishers Weekly in 1992 as one of the 20 most influential women's books of the past 20 years. Lesbian Woman spoke to a new and hungry generation of women eager to answer their clarion call to sexual liberation and freedom. Martin was an early leader in the battered women's movement, again breaking new ground with the publication of Battered Wives in 1967, a book that inspired grassroots organizing to end domestic violence and the establishment of shelters for battered women. Lyon Martin Health Services, founded in 1979 in San Francisco and named in honor of Martin and Lyon, is the only freestanding community clinic in California with a specific emphasis on lesbian, bisexual women, and transgender health care delivering quality health care services regardless of ability to pay. In 1995, they were appointed to the White House Conference on Aging. They continued to advocate on behalf of older lesbians through older lesbians organizing for change. Um, again, um, we honor and um, the passing of Del Martin, um, who died today at the age of 87, um, who is one of the founders of the Daughters of Belitis in San Francisco. Um, in, our, in our last um, few minutes, I want to hear from uh, uh, from Barney Frank, um, who um, who uh, speaks a little bit about the gay vote. Um, Barney Frank has been long a lightning rod for controversy, but also um, one of LGBT communities. Um, leaders in the forefront of LGBT equality um, and um, uh, in, in the Congress. So let's hear a little bit from Barney Frank. 
I'm Corey Johnson with Torah.com with uh, Congressman Barney Frank from the state of Massachusetts. Barney, before we start, you know this is our eight-year anniversary. You and I met about eight years ago. At the convention? At the, no, not in Los Angeles, before that. You wrote me a great letter. Wow. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's great to be here in Denver. I wanted to talk to you about um, the LGBT vote uh, in this election. Of course, the differences between the records of Senator McCain and Senator Obama are pretty, are pretty stark. Uh, but in 2004, 25% of self-identified gay voters voted for George W. Bush against Senator Kerry, who had a far better record. What do we do this time around to increase it so less gay people vote for a candidate who isn't as good on our issues? All we can do is to make clear the difference. Look, we've made real progress in finding discrimination. There are some people, probably predominantly white gay men, who no longer face much prejudice. If they are partner and they both have health care because they both are upper middle class or upper class professionals and they live in New York or maybe Chicago or San Francisco, it's probably the case that they don't face much discrimination. Now, they don't, in part because the rest of us have fought hard to free them from that, but they may think that for them, lowering that tax rate or continuing to fight the war in Iraq is more important. I would disagree with that, but it's at least logical that saying LGBT rights aren't an important part of my struggle. If, however, people think that LGBT rights and our self-respect and our ability to be treated fairly count, then all we have to do I, I, is tell them the facts. I think there is a misperception that John McCain is a moderate. You know, Henny Youngman, a great comedian, had a line, how's your wife compared to what? Well, how's John McCain compared to Rick Santorum? He's not as bad as he could be. Compared to Barack Obama, he's awful. Compared to what we have a right to expect, he's awful. The Supreme Court decided that it was against the Constitution to prosecute us for private consenting sex between adults. John McCain will appoint justices who will overturn that. Now, if people don't care if their private behavior is considered criminal, then I don't know what to tell them. But if they care about gays in the military being treated fairly, about a non-discrimination law that's fully inclusive, about hate crimes, about recognition of our relationships, then they could vote for Barack Obama. So I accept the fact that for some gay men in particular, LGBT rights have become unimportant because they have benefited from our successes. But anybody rational who thinks that's important has to agree that a vote for uh, Obama is the right vote. In 2004, there were over a dozen states that had constitutional amendments on the ballot, and some people say that that may have helped uh, George Bush in his re-election in states like Ohio and in other places. This year, it's only uh, three states, Arizona, Florida, and California. Do you think that uh, sort of the demagoguing of the gay community will be less than this year than it was four years ago? Yes, because it didn't work. Remember, the Republicans thought that in 2004. Some Democrats did, too. But the fact that the Democrats won so... Handily in 2006 in the House and the Senate has persuaded a lot of people that it wasn't us. It was the misperceptions about the war in Iraq. Look, more than 200 people voted against that constitutional amendment that would have wiped out same-sex marriage in Massachusetts. Of those who voted against it and helped kill it in both houses, one was defeated for real 
election by someone who had voted, supported it. And that was in a Republican primary. No Democrat who voted against the Constitutional Amendment lost to a Republican who was for it. About two dozen Republicans who had voted for the amendment to ban marriage lost to Democrats who were against it. So I think it's pretty clear that people exaggerated that. And it's obviously not going to affect California. And I don't think it'll have a major effect in foreign Arizona. What do you think is going to happen uh, in the next Congress as it relates to the Employment Non-Discrimination Act? Do you think the work has been done by members of the LGBT community to educate more members on including gender identity and expression and that it could happen in the next Congress? Or do you think you still think we were where we were a year ago? We're better off than we are, and it depends how many Democrats. If we pick up 15 or 20 Democrats, you know, most of them will be supportive. But I am disappointed in the transgender community. They seem to think that if Nancy Pelosi and myself and George Miller and a few others waved a magic wand, we could deliver it. Look, this past year, in the legislatures of Maryland, Massachusetts, and New York, efforts to add transgender protection explicitly were defeated. And I testified for it in Massachusetts and lobbied for it. And there's a political problem out there. I wish there weren't, but pretending that something doesn't exist is never a good way to deal with it. And uh, I, I am afraid that too many people in the transgender community think that uh, talking to me and Nancy Pelosi is the way to do it. I don't yet see enough grassroots lobbying on their part. I do think the hearing that we had, and by the way, we had a hearing in the House over the objections of many of the transgender leadership. I, I so that was resident grumpy guy, Bronnie Frank, who I, I love listening to because I feel like he's a cartoon talking a little bit about the gay vote, about ENDA there. He was talking about the Unemployment Not Discrimination Act uh, and about um, LGBTQ rights. Um, so that's our show. That's our DNC show um, for today. Um, again, uh, so so Closets is going to go on a vision quest for, for a semester. We're going to go find ourselves. Uh, and when we do, we hope we, we, we like us. Um, but we will be back, and, and, um, and we look forward to um, invading your ears um, um, when the snow falls, which could be tomorrow. Who knows? Um, but uh, so... That said, this is Game Javier for Dan Burns and Hide, 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 and all the rest of the team at Closets for Close, and we'll talk to you in a little while. the Pussy Pirates. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. 